All right, welcome back to the Brojo Online Podcast. So at the special request of some Brojo members, I've decided to do an in-depth podcast on modern dating. Try to provide an alternative to what most of you have been doing and clearly not been successful with. So we're going to talk about the integrity-based approach to finding a partner which may be a complete paradigm shift for some of you because we're going to completely abolish all the rules and expectations that most people have about dating. And we're going to talk about a just a completely new approach, even in mindset and definitions, to this whole idea of finding somebody to connect with. So this is for anyone who struggles with dating, struggles with finding a partner. It is going to be focused on men and women. You know, that's just kind of my audience. So I'll be talking about men and the struggles they face in trying to attract a woman. But the principles we're talking about really do apply to anyone. And in fact, go far beyond dating. They are really social or socializing principles. And so while I might use examples that seem to be specific to a certain type of person, this is really for everyone. So when I say you're struggling, I mean that you've tried everything. You've tried the dating apps, you've tried hooking up with people from work maybe, Uh, you've gone to bars and clubs and all the places you're expected to go to meet people and tried to hook up there and been sliding into girls' DMs maybe or or you're just sitting around waiting for someone uh, or just hooking up with the same group of friends that you've had this whole time. Whatever it is and it just doesn't work. And by doesn't work I mean... Either you can't get off the ground, you can't even get a date, you, you can't make things move forward into any form of relationship, or you might even be a serial monogamist, you might have a series of relationships, but they always seem to be disastrous, you seem to be repeating yourself. You know, a lot of the guys I work with, they have this repetition, they have this pattern where every relationship they get into is a disaster, and it seems like they attract toxic women. Uh with such consistency that many of them move into the red pill ideology where they think all women are toxic because all the women they have contact with seem to be. And that can just be from the bad experience of like never being able to get a relationship off the ground. Like it only lasts a few weeks and then the girl loses interest and dumps you for someone else, which is what I used to go through. That used to be my pattern. All the way through to actually having long-term relationships with really abusive partners, even to the extremity of getting divorce raped and losing contact with your kids and you know finding out you're in a relationship with someone who's got a severe personality disorder and so on. And it's very easy to get disheartened and disillusioned and bitter and resentful, even hateful, if you're repeatedly having this experience in what you call dating and relationships. And so today I want to help Open your eyes to why this is happening, why it doesn't need to keep happening, and why it doesn't happen for everybody. The first thing I want to put out there is the word dating is part of the problem. We don't use the word dating when we're talking about making new friends or building a social circle or forming great personal connections that have no label. Dating is very specific. It's about romance and sex, trying to get a relationship off the ground, or at least just getting laid on a regular basis has a fixation on the type of people that you're attracted to and no one else. Nobody else is involved when it comes to dating. So inherent in the word dating is neediness, desperation, chasing, manipulation. The word is fucked. And so I want to encourage you to move forward without using that word. You will no longer be dating. Dating is no longer a practice. Oh, you're going to be meeting people and having romantic experiences and building relationships, but you will not be dating. If you can just get that in your head, that dating doesn't exist for you anymore, and that the concept of dating is the problem itself, that it is a self-fulfilling negative prophecy, that will be the main shift you need to make. So the new approach that I'll be talking about today removes the concept of dating altogether and replaces it with a focus on connection, integrity, building healthy relationships of all kinds to form a great inner circle, a great social circle around you that gives you meaning and fulfillment, that you have you know, the ability to connect with people, to protect them, they'll protect you, that kind of loyalty, Navy SEALs team feeling. 
And none of these people have particular labels. You don't need to call them friends or lovers or partners or anything like that. They're just your people. It's a completely different approach to what most people think of as dating. And that's what you've got to get your head around. You're no longer dating. You're building a social circle. And that's still not even the primary focus. The primary focus is living with integrity in the social context. So when you're interacting with other people, you are much more focused on you aligning with your own core values than on making them like you and finding a friend and finding a partner. There's no problem with wanting these things, partly because you can't not want them. You can't turn it off. But you're going to notice that wanting it is actually part of the problem. And so you're going to take countermeasures to make sure that even if you want it, that doesn't become neediness and that doesn't get in the way of you living by your values and therefore creating deep and meaningful connections with the right people. So you've heard of Red Pill, which is the kind of more misogynistic, women are against us view of the world, which I'll talk about in a minute. And they often use the term Blue Pill to talk about the nice guys and the people pleasers and the suckers who are still in the matrix and so on. I would call this green pill, just for a different name. Green because the, the word integrity sounds green to me. And green is vitality, it's life, it's growth, it's you know nature. And so I'm going to say, we're going to try and green pill you now, which is we're going to try the one approach that you've never tried. The approach where trying to make people like you and trying to get basic needs met by other people is replaced with social integrity. Green, not red, and not blue. So the focus of this podcast will mostly be mindset, because mindset is actually most of the problem. You will have some practical issues with your communication style or how you meet people, and we will discuss that. There will be practical discussion at the end of this podcast. But most people, when they're looking for dating advice, they're looking for the how-to. What do I say? Where do I go? What's the best move in this situation? And they think that the how-to problem is the problem. And that thinking is the problem. This is what gets guys into the whole pickup artist thing. They think, oh, it's technique. That's my problem, it's techniques. And they go and go, hey, how come all the pickup artist gurus are still single? Well, it doesn't matter. It's just techniques. Right. What we're going to be talking about is actually you go out there with such a philosophical view that technique doesn't matter. That you won't need to try, you won't need to adjust, other than overcoming perhaps some basic errors you make in connecting with people which actually come from your neediness and come from your insecurities and wouldn't happen if you were with your best friend. You know, one of the best ways I can kind of put this is however it is you talk with people that you're the most safe with and most confident around and have the deepest connection with, people you don't worry about and you just be yourself with them, we're going to talk about how to be like that with everyone all the time. So it's not really a technique thing. It's more like the removal of techniques, all the different stuff you do with other people because you don't feel safe or you're trying to get something. How you'd be if you didn't have all of that and you're just you coming to the surface. There are two books I'd recommend right out of the gate. Mark Manson's Models, quite an old book now, maybe 20 years old, but still absolutely valid and probably the closest to what we'll be talking about today, where he talks about dating through honesty. Now he still has a focus on uh, getting the girl, which is different to what I'll be talking about today. But other than that, it's pretty much bang on. And the other one would be Dating Essentials for Men by Robert Glover, the Mr. Nice Guy author. Um, those two books, probably out of all the many <laughs> hundreds, maybe dozens of books I've read on relationships and dating, those two are the healthiest for the kind of guys I'm talking to today. Right? If you can embody what they've got going on in those books, you'll be doing pretty well with women and you won't even be trying to. I'm going to steal man the red pill perspective because the red pill perspective is really that of any man who's bitter with the way dating and relationships has been going for him in his life. Whether he's part of the red pill community or not, whether he reads the literature or not, that literature, that community, that ideology is really a manifestation of the bitterness and resentment a group of men have about how life with women has gone for them. So at the heart of red pill theory is this idea of the feminization of the West a conspiracy theory, essentially, that men are now the victims and women are the oppressors, but that society portrays the opposite message in order to continue this. 
that this is represented by the way that men kind of finish last in dating, where all the power is in the hands of the woman, um, that there are literally laws that uh, discriminate against men, and this is true in certain countries, custody laws, divorce laws, where it's worse to be a man going through that situation legally than it is to be a woman. And basically, a massive, a boatload, millions and millions of posts and comments and articles of anecdotal experience from men suffering at the hands of women. And that is really the main basis for their theory. There's a skewed take on evolutionary psychology leading to hypergamy theory, this idea that women are completely transactional and they're just looking to upgrade for the next best deal as soon as they can idea that humans are really just about procreation, that we're just machines and we don't actually have complex, nuanced relationships with each other, and that, you know, a woman can't be loyal. She's only, she's only as loyal as her options, and therefore men should only be as loyal as their options, and that it's all about sex and looks and everything like that, which, of course, nonsense. So it goes against all the data. And what you got is essentially a community silo effect. So all the Red Pill guys discuss these ideas with each other they absolutely abhor outside views to the point where they will actually oust and bully their own members for having dissenting views and there's plenty of stories you can find about that uh to the point where they're actually engaging in cult practices you know they they worship the leaders of their community they're religious about their views rather than scientific uh they're nasty and vicious towards people they perceive to be in any way disagreeing with them and so on they take a lot of the boxes and it leads to other kind of subgroups like men going their own way MGTOW um, who believe you know in order for a man to remain sovereign and powerful he must simply disconnect from women you know he can use them for sex but that's all he can't have relationships he can't connect with them and of course running away from dating relationships means you have the same result as having no good experience dating relationship you're alone and i think all of this really stems from a worship of the alpha male uh concept which is a misunderstanding of uh studies that were done on chimpanzees they basically worship the james bond type you know the guy who just they'd call him a sigma male maybe the alpha male you know, he's the guy who dominates, he's promiscuous, he's powerful, he doesn't give a fuck what anyone thinks, so on and so forth. And this is nothing new. My dad's generation worshipped James Bond. You know, James Bond's always been the guy's ideal of the perfect man. And as I always say to my coaching clients, after having studied psychopathy for nearly 20 years, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that James Bond is a high-functioning psychopath. Every character, every book, every movie, he's a high-functioning psychopath. He has no conscience. He's violent. Uh, he uses women for sex but has no real intimate connection with them, is incapable of that. He moves on quickly from grief and disaster. Uh, he has no problem murdering people. All he cares about is ambition and the mission. He's completely transactional in everything he does. He's manipulative, devious grandiose sense of self i mean he's a picture perfect psychopath and that's who you're worshiping and i think the reason that the red pill guys worship psychopaths i mean the latest one is the uh, patrick bates character from american psycho you know he's literally a serial killer and they still say he's the good guy you know um it's this idea of the guy doesn't feel pain no woman can hurt this guy he gets there all the needs met all the kind of surface level materialistic needs met money and sex and everything popularity maybe but without any of the emotional cost never has hurt feelings never worries about a rejection never gets anxiety never gets erectile dysfunction he doesn't have any real human suffering he's just this machine that gets the job done and i get the appeal I get the appeal of that after you've been hurt so many times. You just want to be numb to the pain. You want to have all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. I get the appeal. Uh, however, I cannot, of course, support something that's clearly not going to work for you. It's just impossible unless you actually are a psychopath. And even they end up dissatisfied in their relationships and their connections because they die alone too. Because eventually the whole act falls apart. You, know, you can find a video by the guy who did the original alpha male chimp study, the one who 
coined the term alpha male and he'll say you know basically i don't know where they got their ideas from but an alpha male in a chimp society is actually a very nurturing fathering parental type role he takes care of everyone he puts his own needs second he's loved they're loyal to him not because he's vicious uh, but because he makes them safe and keeps them safe so the idea that alpha male is this douchey chad from the gym no that's a beta male in the chimp society and actually in the chimp society all the female chimps are going to beat that guy up if he tries to take over because they want the good male and, and the lead so don't know where they get alpha male from but it's certainly not from science i've studied red pill and red pill guys who i've worked with for many years and i've come up with my own theory i guess you call it it's the cluster effect we get this idea that because we've had a vast range of experiences, dated lots of women perhaps, or just talked to lots of women, that we've seen a good scope of society. You can see this on the Red Pill type podcasts, like the Just Pearly things and stuff. All women are this and all women are that because six women in my life were like that. They're all the same. And seven women in his life and two in his life. I mean, all women are the same. Which is really at the heart of the Red Pill misogyny. So what's the point of looking for an exception? Because they're all the same. But the cluster effect is this idea that you don't actually get a representative sample in your life of all the people that there are out there. You get a cluster, a niche of very similar people that you attract and are attracted to. You don't get a random sample at all. If, for example, I have an anxious attachment style I'm generally going to find avoidant attachment people most attractive and they're going to be attracted to me because I do all the work and they can just keep running and they enjoy the thrill of being chased without actually getting intimate. So I'm going to get hurt repeatedly in relationships as I love people more than they love me back. Now all the secure attachment people are going to avoid me like the fucking plague because I'm so needy and suffocating. So I never meet them. I never have a relationship with them. I have no idea what that's like. I only know what it's like to chase an avoidant, right? Or if I'm bringing particular wounds from childhood, as I believe every single red pill enthusiast is, that are unhealed, I'm going to repeat myself. There's a thing called the repetition compulsion, which is if you had harmful relationships when you were a child, you keep seeking them out as an adult to try and close the loop, to try and get one of them to go right. Like you've got the song stuck in your head and you're trying to remember what the last verse is. And so you keep re-listening to the song over and over, trying to finish it. And the re repetition compulsion is a term I've only learned recently, but a concept I've known about my whole life, really. Is we will just keep harming ourselves over and over again. We will repeat the same friends. We'll repeat the same relationships with the same types of people, hoping for a better outcome. You know, the old Einstein's definition of insanity Thing. You know, this idea that like this time the crazy ecstasy addicted girl at the club will be the one, right? The last five broke my heart and stole my money, but this one, this one's going to be the one. You've invested so much. It's kind of a sunk cost fallacy, really. You've invested so much in a certain type of person that you're just trying to make it work to justify how much time you've invested because you think that time's been valuable. So the combination of the cluster effect and the repetition compulsion, I guess they're one and the same thing, is that your red pill guy has had a tiny niche of toxic people in his life since the beginning, and it's all he knows. He's a fish in water. He thinks that's what people are. He doesn't know what kind, generous, confident people are like. He's never been around them. He's never been friends with them. He's never had them as a mentor. He's never made love to one of them. He's never had them as a partner. They certainly weren't his parents or his close family members. Or maybe he's had a couple. And that's, I guess, who I'd be mostly talking to. And this is how people got through to me, is I had a couple of good friends and I'd been with a girl or two that showed promise of being healthy. And so there was like a, a, a cut in the fabric of reality. There was a light shining through from the other side, like, hey, maybe there's other type of people out there and I just can't seem to find them, you know? But they, I do believe they exist. Whereas I know for some red pill type guys, they don't believe in them at all. They think that all women are the same, all guys are assholes, all women are sluts, and that's it, that's life. They've seen enough evidence to close the case on that. But, you know, I, I, 
I used to work with pedophiles as a probation officer, and it got to the point where I started to think that all men were nonces, right? I'd be walking down the street and see a father with his child and be like, you fucking pedophile, motherfucker. Like, I just thought everybody was dangerous to children. And that's the cluster effect, whereas most people go throughout their day without even seeing one pedophile. I was seeing six or seven of them every day. Most of the guys in my life were pedophiles. And so I formed a, uh, an impression of men based on my anecdotal experience. And this is what all the kind of nice guys and red pill type guys do, is they repeatedly have a very skewed experience of a small niche of people. And because that's what they repeatedly experience, they think, well, I'm just living life randomly and this keeps happening. So this must be everything. This must be consistent. This must be what all life is like, what all people are like. When actually it's much more like me working as a probation officer. All I'm going to see is criminals because of my job. If I want to work somewhere else, I'm going to see almost no criminals. and It'll completely warp my perspective. I won't go into attachment styles too deeply because it's a whole thing on its own, but I seriously recommend you do your research on this. Find out which one you tend to be. Most people are both, but they've got like a major and a minor. So the general categories are avoidant attachment and anxious attachment. Avoidant, try to prevent intimacy because people getting close to them as a child were you know, painful experiences. And anxious people try to cling and chase because, you know, their experiences were of abandonment, of people running away, and they're trying to stop that from happening. And both of these are very fucked up psychological profiles. Like, you almost cannot have any form of healthy connection. You can't even be attracted to healthy people when you're deep in one of these styles, okay? And so you really need to find out what style you are, and it will answer most of your questions and most of your repetition compulsion problems you'll see oh that's why my relationships have always been like this and never been like that there's actually a book called attachment i can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head but that's like the bible on attachment style so get that book and the other two i mentioned and you've basically got all the information you need to get your head right when it comes to meeting people i recently did a podcast on divorce and in preparation for that podcast i did a deep dive into divorce statistics and the science of marriage you know the scientific studies of marriage and i found what i'd already known my entire coaching career which is the problems start during dating okay usually the people shouldn't be together in the first place so 10 years later when they're getting divorced over cheating and financial problems and a loss of connection it looks like that something grew into a problem but the problem was there in the first date so if you think you've just constantly had bad experiences perhaps all the way through to divorce we just repeatedly have a bad experience with someone understand it's happening right from the moment you're attracted to them if you don't get your attachment style sorted out and you don't start focusing on integrity rather than like your feelings and your urges and your desires uh, you're just going to keep landing yourself in the same pit especially for men there's the idea of attraction the physical attraction this red pill guys will go on about ratios of hip to waist and all sorts of shit that they think is the be-all and end-all of attraction. But if you go around the world, you'll find that everybody's got a different story. You go to Samoa and big is beautiful, right? They find fat people attractive there. You go to tribes in the middle of Africa and they're stretching out their necks because a long neck or elongated earlobes is hot, right? Attraction can be conditioned by culture. Whatever it is you think is hot, It'll feel like it's just a feeling, like it's not a choice, like, oh, it's just, it's just natural attraction. And yet you're going to find yourself attracted to the same shit that everyone in your culture is attracted to, right? And then you take that same thing and you take it to a different culture and those guys will be like, oh, right? Like if you take the standard European hot white girl to the San people of Africa, they'll be like, oh, where's her ass? Why is she so skinny? I can see her ribs. Blech. What's with that long blonde hair? She looks like a ghost. Like they're going to be repulsed because they like little peppercorn curls and a massive booty and that kind of squat, like voluptuous figure on a woman. Like to them, that's a woman, right? So this idea that you're just going with what you're attracted to and that that's just like natural physical attraction. Nah, that's not the case at all. That's all bullshit. 
You've been taught to be attracted to certain things. And one of the fascinating findings I've had with my work is that when you get to know someone really well and they're a really good fit for you values-wise and you have a lot of fun together and you have deep and meaningful connection, you will become sexually attracted to them if you weren't already at the beginning. I'll tell you what, I've known a lot of pickup gurus and a lot of dating instructors and stuff and known them long enough to see what happens when they get out of all of that and they just move on with a normal life. And there's a fascinating phenomenon is these guys would be dating models and having threesomes with, you know, Instagram chicks and all that sort of stuff. They don't end up marrying a girl that looks like that. They end up marrying a girl that's, you know, you'd say as plain Jane perhaps compared to it, but they think she's the hottest girl that they've ever been with. What they finally did was have a deep, intimate, emotional connection with a woman and their brain did the rest. The brain makes it work because attraction is all just, it's all bullshit anyway. Right? Physical attraction, visual attraction, it's all just a story in the head. And that story will adjust based on what you really want. So if you really like someone and you have a really deep connection with them, just wait. You will eventually want to fuck them. Okay, Your brain will make it work for you. So you've really got to let go of the idea that your impulsive attraction at a distance right now is safe and reliable. Because odds are you're actually attracted to bad fit connections. You're doing the repetition compulsion. You're looking for that thing to fix from your childhood. And you'll actually find it physically attractive. You'll look for signs of a damaged person that you can fix. And you will need to start doing some uncomfortable dating practices, you might say, where you start inviting a connection to build with someone that you're not over the top blown away with in terms of physical attraction. Right, because that may actually be a distraction. Top of this attraction problem, there's the checklist problem. Now, this tends to be more of a girl problem than a guy problem, perhaps, but it's this idea you've got a list in your head of the traits and qualities your ideal partner should have, and you're kind of judging people based on that. And I'll tell you right now that if you've had that list for some time, whether it's a vague or a clear, crystal clear list in your head, and you're using that to kind of qualify and sort through potential partners and you're still single your list doesn't fucking work your list doesn't work your list is actually a barrier rather than a solution that list whatever it's based on clearly isn't working for you so isn't correct because in truth the kind of partner that's going to be great for you is going to write the list you're going to find someone and go really this chick and the more and more you fall in love with it, the more you're going to be like, oh, it turns out I'm really into this thing and I'm really into that. And who would have thought I found this attractive? And who would have thought I got a kink for that in the bedroom? Turns out I do. You know, I used to be kind of a dating instructor, I guess, and I'd take guys out to meet girls. And they'd say something like, oh, yeah, I'd really love to fuck her. I'm like, how do you know what she's like in bed? You've never met her. What are you saying when you say that? And you say, oh, she's really, oh, I really want to get with her. It's like, what if she just wants to peg you all night? What if she wants to choke you and pour burning wax in your ear hole? You don't know what she's into. So how can you say that you would like it? Because you've got an idea in your head of what you think you should like. And you're just projecting that onto people. And it's not working for you. You've got to actually go and have sex with someone to figure out what you want. You've actually got to go and get into relationship type, ongoing connections with people to figure out who it is you really like. But if you start with the checklist, then you're limited to the checklist. And like I said, if that was working for you, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast because you'd be with a great partner by now. What I think is even more applicable to men is what you might call the reverse checklist problem. Red pill, pick up, all these guys will constantly hammer you with the idea that you have to bring value. You know, I saw Chris Rock in a latest special, he talked about only women, children and dogs get unconditional love, but a man has to like earn it. And that's the, you know, and this is a guy who's recently divorced, so he's got that perspective. But I get, uh, you know, but I bet that his relationships have a pattern that we've been talking about. So the reverse checklist problem is you think they have a checklist and you're trying to meet the criteria of that checklist. You're trying to bring some sort of value, which means you're not enough as you are. That just you as you, being you, saying what you want to say, doing what you want to do, and not adding any frills to it, that's not going to attract a single partner ever, right? 
So you're going around trying to figure out what their checklist is and trying to meet the criteria to tick those boxes so that they'll finally open their legs or call you their boyfriend or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And like I said, if that was working for you, you wouldn't be listening to this. So the checklist problem in general is a barrier. It's not a facilitator of relationships. I can tell you right now there will be a high correlation between the strength of somebody's checklist or imagined checklist on the other people and the lack of success with dating. And the problem with the reverse checklist is you're doing what I call chasing soap in the bath. I don't know how many of you guys still have baths, but when I was a kid, you know, I'd have a bar of soap because I'm old. And, you know, I'd drop the soap in the water and I tried to grab it. And when you go for it, it like scoots away from you and you try to grab, squeeze it and it just pops out of your hand because it's soap, right? And I'd spend minutes chasing soap around the bath. I just couldn't quite get my hands on it. And then I learned slowly but surely over time that if I just sort of sit there with my hand out and just move the water around, eventually the soap just kind of lands nicely on my hand. So chasing the soap around always makes it run away from you. And that is how I see most people dating, men and women alike. They're chasing and it keeps slipping out of their grip. And it's the strength of their grip and the, the suffocating force of their chasing that's actually causing the soap to run away from them. And the fact that they're trying to pick up soap in the first place, something slippery, something that doesn't want to connect or attach to them. Well, there you go. So neediness is your real enemy here. That's why I say if you use the word dating, I know you've already got a neediness problem because neediness is inherent in dating. We wouldn't call it dating if we didn't have desperation and needs and trying to get something from somebody else, trying to take from them. Dating is never a word about giving or connecting or intimacy or lack of attachment, is it? And you've got to let go of these movie ideals. You know, the Disney romance that so many women are, you know, waiting to get swept off their feet by the Prince Charming. I can't believe that shit still sits with girls. And the latest attempt by Hollywood to kind of show some sort of reverse woman MGTOW thing is just terrible. It's the opposite of going to work. But that, that Disney romance idea that things will just happen magically if you just be the good guy in the story. How's that going for you, eh? There's a reason they call it fucking fiction, isn't it? These aren't documentaries, right? Or even the rom-com. Like, you know, in a rom-com, you get those perfect sexual experiences where the people just have to have each other right now and the guy throws her up against the wall and somehow they skip the conversation about a condom and everything and they just go straight to the bed and they both have long, satisfying sex all night long. As if. <laughs> I fucked you. As if. How many first-time sexual experiences are like that? Huh? Huh? Get the fuck out of here. you got to be kidding. My first time with my now wife, who I can satisfy sexually, no problem at all these days, my first time with her was under a minute, and I farted right afterwards. So there's that. That's how that goes. That's how it usually goes. It almost ended things right there and then. But this idea that you're going to have these perfect scripted experiences where the conversations will go just right and even better, you won't need to say certain things. There's no need for it. They just know. They just read you, right? Or there'll be drama. That There has to be drama in the formation of the relationship. There has to be an antagonist that tries to pull you apart. So you, now you've got your retroactive jealousy looking for the enemy, the one who's going to steal your girlfriend. It's all shit. Fiction entertainment if they showed what real life relationships would like we'd just be sitting there going like oh my god they're bickering about the dishes again just ask her out already what the fuck you know it's just it's not going to be entertaining actually i think it might be but we just we've been like seduced by the hype of hollywood see in real life you're going to have awkwardness you're going to have friction you're going to have misunderstandings you're going to have to talk through all the stuff you're going to have to talk through condoms right I don't mean like, but you're going to have to actually talk about the use of protection. You might actually have to talk through having your first kiss. You're going to have to talk about how you like each other. You have to take risk of like them saying, I don't feel that way about you and so on. You're going to have all these conversations that they never have in the movies, right? You're going to have to do things like go on the toilet after they've taken a massive dump and go, oh my gosh, he smells like a baboon because this is a real human, right? It's... There's going to be so much awkwardness, so much weirdness, and a real connection with somebody, and the real formation of a relationship is not smooth and easy. 
The fact that you're looking for that just leads you into disaster. So what I want to introduce you to is something I've been calling boiled potato theory. So at the heart of all of this, we just skip to the chase and let's imagine you're one of my clients who have done all the deep work so we can just get to the conclusion. This is about not feeling good enough. You start off with a suspicion from childhood trauma that you're not good enough. And then you have bad experiences with women and each bad experience, whether it's just getting rejected so you can't get a date, all the way through to getting divorced and losing everything, everything in between, you start to get this confirmation, I really am not good enough. I've, I've given it a real try and it's not working for me. I don't know about the cluster effect. I don't know that I'm just repeating a small niche of bad people and that's why I'm having these results. Or I don't know that I'm actually not trying at all and that's why I'm not having these results. I just... I feel like everything I do just confirms I'm not good enough as I am. And the reason I call this the boiled potato theory is this fear. In terms of, say, food, we're a boiled potato. Like if we're at the buffet, no one's going to choose us when there's so much other delicious stuff to choose from. And that the only chance we have to be chosen, we've got to fancy it up, right? We've got to put some diced crispy bacon on there and some sour cream and chives and you know some sides and this potato's got to be able to dance and give you superpowers and pay for dinner and this idea that the potato is never going to be enough that we've seen confirmation that it's not enough and therefore it needs to be fancied up or there's a variation i might call the fried crickets uh, variation which is you don't think of yourself as a boiled potato, but you do think of yourself as something very weird that nobody wants, right? It's a, it amounts to the same thing of not being good enough for different reasons. So the guy who thinks he's a boiled potato is constantly going to try and impress and add more to what he is and hide what he is and so on. And then that's not going to work for him. And then he's going to think, see, people don't like me. But as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, he's never actually tried just being a boiled potato. He's never given it a real crack of just going, okay, I'm just going to be this thing and let chips fall where they may. Because I'll be able to track through that guy's history, and I know this for certain. I'll be able to track through his whole history all the way back. And the only time he ever tried just letting himself be what he is was in childhood, and that got severely punished. By the time he's in high school, he's already being fancy. He's already pretending to be something he's not or hiding in the shadows or both. And so this idea, he's never actually been the boiled potato. But every time something goes wrong with a girl, he thinks, oh, I see there's something wrong with me. He never clicks, hey, I've never even let them see me. How can I say this? I'm the problem when I've always been hidden? This is ultimately what got me out of the pickup artist thing that I was deep into for a number of years. Was that I was so-called successful. I was bringing girls back to my house and so on. But then I'd get there and be like, she doesn't actually know me. You know, getting rejected for who I am is actually preferable to getting to accepted for who I'm not. I had girls willing to sleep with me, but it wasn't me they wanted to sleep with. It was the performance. It was the act I'd put on. From what I wore and where I styled my hair and everything all the way through, mostly to the way I talked and the kind of person persona that I presented to them. That's what they were going home with. And that guy was... Almost nowhere near the real thing. There's only bits of me in there. And I realized, you know what? This isn't as satisfying as it's cracked up to be. And a lot of you guys, maybe you will be satisfied with that. But if just getting your dick wet is enough, then go buy a hooker and stop listening to this podcast. If you actually want a real connection with women, then you won't be satisfied with tricking them into bed. And having that imposter syndrome waiting to be found out for the boring boiled potato that you actually are. What I'm putting out to you there is what if you just cut all the trimmings, no more sour cream, no more bits of fucking bacon, nothing, and you're just going to sit in the buffet as a boiled potato and just see if anyone chooses you, right? See if anyone actually prefers boiled potato, right? And not just because they're feeling sick. This green pill, you might call it, is a huge shift where you go... I'm no longer going to try to make people like me, which is partly where the MGTOW guys are. I'm not going to put the effort into seducing and manipulating and convincing people to love me or have sex with me or whatever it is. But I'm also not going to run away. 
I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to sit right out there in the fucking buffet. I'm going to be front and center. You're going to have to reject me to get to the other food. I am going to interact with people and connect with people and have a robust, active social life. But not one of those people am I going to try and seduce or make them like me. So this is the huge shift. This is the new perspective. You're going to let go of any behavior, any anything you do that has the primary focus of making people like you, seducing them into feeling attraction towards you or anything like that. You're going to let go of all of that. And instead, you're going to let them see the boiled potato and judge for themselves whether or not they prefer it. Right. So that if somebody goes on a date with you, goes home with you, offers their phone number to you, you're going to be 100% certain that they know what they signed up for, that they have not been tricked. You're going to be kind of blown away, like, really, you're attracted to a boiled potato? Because that's all I've shown you. I want you to have that experience because it's a liberating experience to have someone like you for who you are. Most of you listening have almost never had that experience. Not because it can't happen, but you've never let it possibly happen. You've always put on an act. You've always hidden who you really are. You've never tried this fully honest, sustainably for a long time to get through the transition period. You know, some people have had bursts of little bits of honesty, but it's usually like having a crush on someone for two years and then telling them, no, that didn't work out well. But honesty wasn't the problem. The two years of dishonesty was the problem. If you told them right at the start, maybe something would have happened. You never really tried just going like, here's who I fucking am. Judge for yourselves. I'm just going to keep being this right in front of you. You do whatever you want to do about that. I'm not going to try and bring you in. But if you like me, I'm not going to push you away either. I'm not going to be avoidant or anxious. I'm going to be secure. So specifically, what you're focused on is integrity and intimacy, right? Deep, meaningful connections through being fully honest and vulnerable and courageous without chasing, without trying to make something happen. And also without preventing things from happening. It's a technique I call push them away with honesty. Now, this doesn't mean being contrarian and, and deliberately trying to offend people. What it means is anytime in your mind you feel you're at that crossroads where, hey, if I be honest about this next thing, I'm going to lose them. Be honest there. Where you would usually choose fakery and trickery and silence and whatever it is you use to keep yourself safe, be unsafe. You know, you're having a conversation with someone that's going really well and then politics comes up and your opinion goes against the group. Say your opinion. Lose the group if you have to, right? Somebody says, oh my God, this is my favorite type of music. And you're like, well, I would rather die than listen to this. Guess what you got to say? You see someone you're really nervous because you're attracted to them. Yeah, You just want to just sort of pretend that you're nonchalant. Or something. No, tell them you're attracted to them. This is pushing people away with honesty. I think of it like dropping a nuclear honesty warhead and watching that mushroom cloud just go out throughout the room. And then I open my eyes and I see if anyone lived through it. Right. And sometimes it feels like this. Like if I go to a party or a barbecue or something these days, obviously I'm not chasing girls around, but I'll just start talking as if everyone there is already my best friend. Right. I don't even say like, hi, what's your name or anything? Because I wouldn't say that to a best friend. They say, how's your day going? I say, ah, oh, fucking depressed because I'm not getting enough sleep. How about you? And I just let that bomb hit. And I see if anyone wants to keep talking to me. And I find 10 times out of 10 that if anyone stays and keeps talking to me, I'm going to have a good time talking to that person. We're going to connect well. And anyone who walks away, I won't miss them. They weren't right for me. This is this fucking foolproof technology to make sure I only have a good inner circle. But it means that occasionally, especially if I go to the wrong place with the wrong types of people, no one's going to like me. And I have to be okay with that potential outcome. In fact, I'm kind of seeking it. So I'm looking to polarize rather than attract. Knowing if my neediness gets inside me and starts saying, but what about this and that? I say, hey, don't worry about it. Polarizing is attractive anyway. So I'm being attractive without trying to be attractive. Right? You think being the guy that everyone likes is attractive. That's just not true. 
Even the red pill guys will tell you that. But if you're the guy who's just like, look, I'm willing to let all of you hate me as long as I'm true to myself, there are certain people who will get turned on by that, either as friends or as lovers. So you don't need to worry that you're just going to lose everybody because just the bravery of being fully honest in front of high stakes audience, that alone is attractive, even if you're a freaky weirdo. Okay, that alone is attractive. So what you're going to do is just be the boiled potato and allow anyone who has a preference for boiled potato to become known. Because the real downside to the trying to make yourself something you're not to be attractive is that someone who would have been attracted to you as you are will walk right past you. And this is my opinion. This is why. Some of the red pill guys have never had confident connections. Is actually they're pretty likable dudes, a lot of them. Not all, but a lot of them. And if they could just be like that with women, they would meet the women who have been looking for that. But when they put on the big fucking Chad showboat act, healthy women go, ugh, and they move on. And only the insecure daddy issues, drug addict, club freak girls go, oh my God, he's so hot. And that's all you end up with. Just nightmares. Healthy hobbies and activities. The most practical advice I can give you is actually pretty simple. You are going to fill out your calendar, every spare moment you've got, with healthy hobbies and activities. Group social events where the primary reason for you being there is the event and the activity. It's not so much meeting people. but It'll be full of people. Classes, for example. Maybe you're really into cooking. Or go do cooking classes. You want to learn how to dance. Go do dancing classes. Right? You want to learn how to edit video. Don't just do it online. Go find an in-person class to do it. Sports. Other recreational activities. Orienteering. Tennis. Indoor netball. It doesn't matter as long as you are keen to do it. You like music. Don't sit alone at home. Go busking. Join a band. Play at gigs. The key here is to take whatever it is you feel an interest in and that you'd like doing even if you didn't make any friends doing it and do the most social version of that you can find. You know, let's say you're really into something that seems isolated and introverted, like reading books, uh, you know, I don't know, playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Think outside the box. What's the social version of this? Book clubs, right? Dungeons and Dragons conventions. Even if you're playing video games, like, well, let's say you like a war game, go play paintball then. You know, go find a way to do this as socially as possible. This way you can tell your neediness, look, I'm giving us some opportunities socially. Don't worry. We're getting as much exposure to people as we possibly can, but we're not going to focus on people. We're going to focus on doing what we love. Now, the reason for this is twofold. One is you walk home alone, you're still satisfied, so you still have a good life. All the MGTOW guys should be right on board with this approach because you're just out living your own life, right? But you're also putting yourself in the presence of people who are like you, right? Not random fucking traumatized sluts at the bar. No, you're going to be hanging out with people who are into the same shit as you. So probably have a very similar personality profile, have similar motivations in life, maybe even have similar values. Right. If I just go randomly to a bar, maybe 3% of the people at that bar will be someone I actually get along with enough to want to spend more time with, if I'm lucky. And I have gone to bars and met everyone there. Right, When I was in pickup, I really flourished. Right, So I've, I've done the thing where I go and talk to everyone at a venue. If I go to a dance event, if I go to a salsa or a zook event, I'll be able to connect well with like 30 to 50% of the people there. The difference in the quality of people, from my preferences, is astonishing. It's hundreds and hundreds of times better. And this is the cluster effect. This is how you break the cluster effect. You've got to get out of your clusters. Stop hanging out with the same group of fucking douchebag mates. right? Stop going to the same bars and clubs. Stop going to bars and clubs. Stop hooking up with people online. Get out of those clusters. Go to new events where other people go for healthy reasons. And you'll meet healthy people who are like you, especially if you choose what you're actually into. You start with one thing and you start filling up your week. This is how you can invest your money. If you want to spend money on something that's going to help you uh, 
invest in hobbies, right? Sign up to classes and courses and shit. And then once you're there, there's a simple methodology to make the most of it, right? Initiate with everyone there. It's the easiest thing in the world to do is to initiate with people who are at a hobby or a shared event or an activity like you. At a music festival, it's really easy to talk to strangers because you're all there because you love the same band, right? Or you had a dance class. I mean, you literally have to go and initiate in order to dance with people. You going to a new drawing class, you can walk around, have a look at people's paintings and give them some compliments on their work. Like it's so easy to connect with people. At the very least, you can just introduce yourself and there's no weirdness about it. You just go, I haven't met you yet, have I? I'm Dan. And everyone goes, yeah, of course we've got to meet each other. We're in the same thing. So you initiate. I won't go into the longer term details of the 3X conversation, but you can find my course and my podcast around that. You just have a normal conversation, the tennis match conversation back and forth. And you will naturally escalate and connect with people because you're going to be focused on honesty, right? You're going to polarize with honesty. That's all you're going to be thinking about in the conversation, as well as respecting them and listening to them and allowing them to polarize you. If it goes well, if you're really loving the person, you invite them to your life in some way outside of this thing. So you meet someone in a dark cl- dance class and you go, well, I'm actually going to see your band on Friday night. You should come join me. So you invite them into your life. And you just, throughout all of this, you're being really honest about your feelings with them. If you're attracted to them, if you like them, if you're impressed by them, whatever, there's no delay between you feeling that and you expressing it. So they know right from the first 30 seconds of conversation how you're feeling about them constantly. So if you're worried, well, how does this build into a relationship or sex? I'm like, well, you're going to be fucking kicking things off all the time. If you're with someone, you're like, God, you're so hot. I can't stop looking at you. That's going to escalate to sex if they want it to. Okay, you've done all the work. You don't need to play any tricks on them. You've made it completely safe for them to to maul you without having to worry about getting rejected. And that's what you'll find. You'll let reciprocation do the work as long as you keep initiating. You keep being the first to put your feelings out there, the first to say, you know, invite them into your life, the first to do this and the other, then they're now safe to follow. And what you'll often find is because you make it so safe, they'll take the lead, right? I used to always have to be the one to like initiate and make sex happen. And then once I started doing things like this, it was the other way around. I'd follow. They would be the ones suggesting we go home and stuff because I've made it so easy for them that I've actually done the work, but it looks like they are. And you've got to stop doing things. No more asking people on a date. Right? No more asking somebody to an event that you created just for them and it depends on them coming. No, no, no. You invite them into your life if you want to see them. Things you're already doing. It can be something mundane. You're going food shopping. So hey, I'm going to the grocery store after this. You should come with me. Through to something more interesting. Like, oh, I'm going to try this new um, cooking class on Sunday. Love to have you come join me. What you're not going to do is say, hey, I'm going to keep my Friday night clear. And if you like me, I'm going to fill it with stuff that I think you'll like. No. Okay, you do that with a partner. You don't do that with someone new. No more getting phone numbers without a good reason. So many guys think dating, like especially when it comes to approaching and attracting people, that getting the phone number is some sort of success. I mean, most people give you a phone number just out of fear or politeness. That doesn't mean anything. They should be the one to say, well, you'll need my phone number to go on that thing that we just organized, right? The phone is just nothing more than a logistical tool. You will no longer be having meaningful discussions. There'll be no text game. None of that bullshit. The only text messaging that should happen on a phone is where and when are we going to meet or call to have a real discussion? And you're not even going to let them do it. If they're like, oh my God, I had such a big day, blah, blah, blah. Sweet, call me and tell me about it. You're going to be a real man here. You're not like a 14-year-old girl. Get off the fucking phone. And no more fixating on someone's response, waiting for someone to get back to you, hoping that girl likes you, blah, blah, blah. If you're waiting on anyone, move on. All right. And I don't mean cut them off. If they come back and they initiate or reinitiate with you, great. And you like them, go forward with that. But if you're like, sort of like, oh, she hasn't got back to me, be like, okay, time to meet new people. And away you go. Right. You never wait on anyone. You never fixate and get needy on people. You're so abundant socially. There's so many people. What you want to do is get to the point where you're having to choose. Right where you're meeting everyone at all these events so often and inviting all the ones you like into your life that you get to the point you're like, shit, I can only get three more people in and I've got five people who are keen. That's what you're aiming for. Not like, okay, I'm going to put all of my hopes and possible happiness in this world on this one girl texting me back. That's a good idea. And then as something develops to help you counter your attachment styles, 
just one more time. So let's say you see someone that goes really well and you want to see them again and you stand there with either fantasies or fears about a long-term relationship. So if you're anxious, you're going to be like, oh my God, we'll get married and we'll have kids. It'll be wonderful. My life's finally finished. And if you're avoidant, you'll be like, oh my God, what if I can't get out of this relationship? What if she wants fucking there? You're suffocating. Just go, wait, 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 wait. The only question is, do I want to see them one more time? And do they want to see me one more time? And that can actually be specifically the discussion. You say, look, I really enjoyed this. You know, if you did too, I'd love to see you one more time at least. And you can keep taking the pressure off both the fantasy and the fear. And just go, look, if I like them, we'll see each other one more time. And we'll keep doing that until one of us doesn't want to anymore. And that's it. We don't have a relationship as such. We're not like committed or obliged or loyal. We're just, do we want to see each other one more time? And what are the boundaries around that? Something like monogamy, for example, which I do recommend, but I won't go into. That can be a natural discussion. It's like, yeah, I really want to see you again. But I'm at the point now where I'd get jealous if you were seeing other people. And so for us to keep seeing each other, at least while we're seeing each other, I think we should be monogamous. If you're cool with that, then let's do it. And if not, then I can see this actually becoming a problem. You can have that kind of discussion without going, okay, now that we're girlfriend and boyfriend, you can't fuck anyone else. It doesn't have to be like that. So think of it as like a tennis match investment. This is the best way to counter an attachment style problem. You hit the ball over to them. They must hit it back in some equal fashion. And this is how you answer questions like who pays for dinner? You take turns. Fuck Disney. Fuck the old ways of doing things. The new modern way is we are equal partners. Now, it might end up imbalanced in one way and balanced out another way, right? For example, my wife doesn't earn an income. I pay for everything in the family, but she does the majority of the childcare and taking care of the house and that kind of thing. So we do have a balance just in different ways using different strengths, right? But in general, you want to make sure it feels like it's balanced all the time. If you're texting them all the time, they're not texting back. That's not balanced. And stop fucking texting. If you call them and invite them to stuff, and they said yes, now it's their turn to invite you to something. And you don't need to make this a guessing game. There's no more gameplay. You say, okay, look, I came up with the last date idea. It's your turn. I'll wait for your call. See you next time. And now it's their turn. And they might go, no, but you're the man. You should do it. It'd be like, well, actually, this is a good segue. For those of you who might be dealing with, you know, classic gender roles and so on, and you're dealing in dating, you've got them having expectations about who does what, you can break those expectations, but it needs to be a discussion. You need to have a discussion. It's something on the lines of, I know you expect this because of X, Y, and Z, right? You have your previous experiences with men and with what you've been taught about men and so on. I want you to draw a nice big fat line right here and now. And what you do with me is going to be different. We're going to follow different rules. If you don't like that, don't call me. Go find somebody else if you want to prefer the old way of doing things. You know, the old way of doing things is the guy pays for everything. Well, the new way is while we're dating, we take turns so that neither of us feels like they're over-invested. And, and you just, and I'm not saying that's what you must do. It must be based on your own preferences. But the idea is you have this conversation. Look, we have both been unhealthy with people in the past. Let's both stop doing that. And the way we're going to stop doing that is we're going to forget fucking what we've been conditioned and taught because that didn't work for us. We're going to forget what we did with our exes because there's a reason they're our exes and it didn't work out. And we're going to work together to find our own unique way of doing things that works for us. And I don't care if it breaks all the rules. I don't care if nobody else does it this way. I don't care what my fucking parents say about it. If you and I feel that it's healthy and it keeps continually working for us, then we're going to do it that way. And anything we do that doesn't work well, that leads to bitterness and resentment and miscommunication and pain, I don't care if everyone does it that way. We're not going to. We're going to ditch it if it doesn't work for us. You also need to learn the difference between tolerating the small humanities about people and deal breakers, red flags that breach your values. So it's really important and beyond the scope of this podcast that you figure out what your core values are and that that becomes the only real criteria you have. See, my wife, she can have all sorts of things that annoy me, but she's not allowed to be dishonest with me. And if she is, she needs to admit it and fix it as quickly as possible. And I can be all kinds of things with her. I can have all sorts of things that annoy her. You know, I leave my clothes on the floor. I fart too much, whatever. But I can't be a people pleaser with her. 
right? She has strict boundaries around that. And of course, we both slip on these things, but not much, and we quickly fix it. Whereas other things, like I am going to be messy for the rest of my days. Poor girl. But I'm going to. I'm going to leave the lights on because I'm fucking short-sighted with my memory. I don't remember what I just did. I'm going to forget to get her flowers on her anniversary sometimes because I just don't think far ahead. My brain's too present. And she's going to tolerate all of that. She's getting better at tolerating it too. Because it doesn't really matter. These aren't value breaches. They're just her preferences, right? That's not to say her preferences are some small thing. But I'm not really committing real crimes here. Just like the little things she might do that annoys me, they're not real crimes. But if she was to betray me or disrespect me in some major way, I need to know that I can end the relationship immediately if that happens, or at least lay such a strong boundary that it never fucking happens again. But most people do the opposite. They allow big breaches of values. They allow someone to disrespect them and lie to them and betray them and be irresponsible in whatever it is that you value. And yet they'll end the relationship on some small thing, like, oh, I can't believe you don't like that sports team. We'll never work out. Right? You need to make sure you know what matters in terms of a healthy connection. It's not the small surface stuff. It's the big, deep inner stuff. As I said, if you're going to be dating other people who have struggled in the dating space, you're both going to be bringing your baggage and your problems to this. And what you're looking for is not somebody who's completely baggage-free, because that person doesn't exist, but somebody who, when called out and inspired by you, will work on it. All right? I had a great example. A friend of mine, he started dating a girl, and she started bantering back and forth with him. And I can't remember what the details were, but she said something that hurt his feelings. And he's got like a soft spot about it, you know, like a hole in his armor. And he said to her, he set the boundary, you know, like, you can joke about all sorts of stuff, but just not that. That one's too sore for me. And then she did it again and again. And he stayed with her. That is somebody who's not wanting to change. He kept telling her, you know, this is really painful for me. Stop it. And she kept doing it anyway. Somebody who's willing to change, when you set that boundary, you'll be like, look, I know you're probably okay with this type of behavior in the past, but not with me. All right, so I need you to step up here and do things differently with me. Right? And they might make the mistake. They might slip and go, oh, fuck, fuck, I did it again. Sorry, I'm really trying my best. Like, ah. But if they're just like openly doing it, like your you know, uh, boundary doesn't matter, then they're not ready to grow with you and they've got to go. Right? And in fact, you kicking them to the curb might be the inspiration they need to finally get their shit together because they finally haven't been tolerated with this bad behavior for once. You know, there's been a couple of conversations where my, my wife and I sat down together in the dating phase, you might call it, and had a conversation that might end with a breakup, saying like, this behavior ends now, no matter why you do it or what, how it helped you in the past, or we do, you know, and that's why we're still together is because every time we had that conversation, we change the behavior. We put an end to old patterns together. Because you've got to remember, love is not enough. For those of you who've had lots of long-term relationships that went sour, odds are your boundary setting sucked, right? You either didn't set the boundary or you set it, but you didn't enforce it. It wasn't actually a deal breaker. It wasn't actually something that you responded to with restrictions and reductions and endings. You've got to understand that love needs to be protected in a relationship. Right? Love is not the protecting force. Love's the vulnerable force. Love can be damaged easily with resentment, criticism, stonewalling, all the horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're called. So what you got to do is constantly be having boundary conversations from the very first date onwards. I like that. I don't like this. I'll tolerate that, but definitely not this. And allowing them and respecting them when they have that conversation. If you guys ever hit what Mark Manson calls friction, if you hit a point that the two of you can't see eye to eye on, then the relationship does not continue. It's as simple as that. So rather than getting divorced in 10 years, you stop dating after three coffees, right? That's where the work needs to be done, not later on. And if it is going well and it's mostly going to plan, you're like, fucking hell, maybe it's time for some sort of bigger commitment beyond just I'll see you next time. There's two types of conversations I think I recommend you having. The first would be the skeletons in the closet. What each of you do is you go away with a piece of paper and you write down everything you could possibly think of that might make the other person stop liking you, that you haven't yet told them about, they haven't found out about. 
right? You rack your brain through your whole memory. Like what if somebody tried to kill this relationship with some demons from my past or some secrets from in my head? Maybe it's sexual preferences. Maybe it's horrible things you did, whatever it is. And you write them all down, anything you can think of that hasn't yet been brought up. And if you've been having lots of honest conversations, there shouldn't be much left on the list. But sometimes you just forget things or you're too scared. And they have to do the same. And you say, look, try to think of anything that would make me leave you, right? Because before we commit and get to the point where we can get really hurt feelings, let's make sure that nobody, ourselves included, could come up with something that derails our relationship. Nobody can smash this relationship over. So you go and then come back and you read those lists to each other and you see if the relationship survives that conversation. If you're good for each other, what you'll find is that their list is like nothing to you and vice versa and that you just don't actually care about that stuff, and it'll make you feel bulletproof. You're like, oh my God, well, there's nothing worse than this that's going to come up. That's that's what the conversation should end with, is you're very certain, like, there's no truth worse than these things that's going to come up and ruin things for us. If she likes me in spite of these things, we're good. She loves some boiled potato. My God, what's wrong with her? But fuck it, let's go with it. So that's the first skeletons in the closet conversation. And the next one is a deal-breaker discussion. Heartbreaking uh, thing that I saw the few years back is a couple I'd known they'd been together for a very long time, seemed very compatible. And then suddenly they broke up and we're like, oh, what the fuck? I thought they were destined to go the distance, you know. I found out they hadn't had the discussion about whether or not they want kids. Five years into their relationship, the first time they have that discussion, one wants one thing, the other wants the other. Incompatible. Total friction. Doesn't matter how much you love each other, if one wants kids and the other doesn't, you can't be together. It's as simple as that. So they had to break up. But five years, they could have been meeting other people who do want the same things as them. They left it too long. So you need a similar list of things, and this will probably be more than one discussion. I'll keep emerging as you talk about what you want out of life. But you need to recognize when something cannot be compromised on. You know, there are certain things that can be and certain things that can't. Even some big things can be compromised on. You know, I moved halfway across the world to be with my girl. So location wasn't actually a deal breaker for me. I didn't have to live in my country. And actually, I'm glad I got out. But there are other things. If, for example, she was dishonest with me or she cheated on me, there's no recovering from that. We're done if that happens. So you need to know what your deal breakers are. What are behaviors or preferences that you just can't move on? And that needs to be a discussion from both of you. You need to see this coming well early. This is a discussion should be had within the first three months. In the honeymoon period, possibly ruining that vibe you've got, that's when it needs to happen so that you don't get into a commitment and an investment where you feel that you actually have to compromise that thing and therefore lose yourself, resent them, contempt builds, you end up divorced, right? So I don't know if I covered everything. I tried to. But that is what I call the green pill approach to dating. That is the new approach where all you're focused on doing is being honest, having integrity, socializing as much as possible, and letting people see that boiled potato and staying with the people who like it just the way it is. If you follow this, I am very certain you will end up in the right kind of social situation for you and you will be satisfied with your connections with other people. And that if you're struggling, it's because you're not following this. Bold statement that that is. Now, I can't cover everything that needs to be covered in a single podcast. There's all kinds of psychological barriers and everything that you need to get through in order to make this kind of approach work for you. And if you want help with that, get in touch. Dan at brojo.org. We can talk about your specific situation and your specific psychological barriers, how to get past those. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.